If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, I, I'm just going to say that because I don't know how many of you all actually see on Christmas Eve. Because it is a lot of fun in here, but it is chaos. Like, uh, like Jason said in the family service, it's a lot of fun. If you are new with us, typically here's what we do at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we have been in a study through the book of Acts. And uh, we find ourselves in the book of Acts uh, at the middle of chapter 6. And I'll let you go see what the middle of chapter 6 is, but just to give you a high-level view, the middle of chapter 6 is an introduction to Stephen. And Stephen is uh, the first Christian martyr, all right? And so we're not teaching through Acts today, right? Because we just felt like Christmas spirit, the first Christian martyr, we're going we're gonna to go to Isaiah for today. And we'll pick back up Acts uh, we'll pick back up Acts after the beginning of the year. And uh, like Sam said, even as we were singing through worship, as he and I were praying through um, this service, and, and, and just, okay, Lord, wh- what do you want us to say as we prepare, right? We're just a few days away from, from Christmas, the day of Christmas. And, and that idea of the light of the world just kept coming back in our, our minds and our hearts. And, and maybe it's because of what we're surrounded with, right? Like all these lights and all these symbols and all these, these emblems um, illuminating things, literally and physically illuminating things. Um, but oftentimes, if, if, if we're being honest, the season of Christmas sometimes, uh, it, it, it highlights things that are, that are maybe, maybe hard, Right? Maybe that light wouldn't be what describes them, and it would be more, more darkness. And maybe even, you're, even in this season, like you've put on the smile, you've put on the sweater, you've went through the routines, but there's just maybe a heaviness. There's, there's a weight, and Christmas and this Advent season sometimes can, can highlight that, and it's, it's maybe because of the absence of someone, right? Maybe it's the presence of someone, okay, um, that causes just stress and cre- can create anxiety. And, and so what I wanted us to do and what I'm praying the Holy Spirit does in, in my life and in our heart of a church as we, we prepare uh, for this Christmas season is that we would just fix our eyes uh, uniquely uh, upon Jesus uh, today, that we would see him truly. We would not just use this term light of the world flippantly, but we would understand the implication of what that actually means. What we were just singing about up here, what Sam read from John chapter 8, what does that, what does that actually mean? mean because it seems again that, that, that just like darkness is chasing us i mean even even physically like how, how many know yesterday how many know what yesterday was right winter solstice. some of you raise your hands you must be teachers okay all right um it's winter solstice right and what does that mean right that it is the shortest day of the year okay it means that that the sun goes down early and how many of you just are like feeling that reality you know i don't, I don't know if you're like me i like see the sun going down like like really going down at 3.30 and like my stomach starts to grumble. And I'm like, man, I'm hungry. I look at the time. I'm like, oh, it just clicked past noon, you know? Like, it, it's like this, when I used to work at, at a bank, I would literally open the bank. So I would show up in this winter season. I would show up in the dark and I would close the bank. I would leave in the dark. How many of you are in that? Like you're driving to work and right from work. And it's just it's like, I, I just don't like that. Anybody else? Like, it's just this sense and sense of darkness. And listen, that, that is a, a thing that happens in the seasons. But I think it also just kind of highlights uh, maybe some of the things that we feel emotionally, socially, um, things that we feel in culture pressing in around us. And let me tell you that the message of Christmas, what it preaches to darkness, darkness that probably most of us are pretty well acquainted with, is a message of hope. 
You see, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, that's what we're going to unpack today. It is a message for a people, like specifically in context, who are in a very dark place, a dark season that has been for a very long time. And we're going to look at Isaiah 8 as well. But, but hear this message, right? People who are, who are grappling, who are wrestling, who maybe feel what you and I even feel, maybe even more so during the season, right? We see these flashes of light with our eyes, but in our hearts we feel something else. Listen, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Okay, so, so, so time out right here. You have to get Isaiah. Isaiah's a prophet, right? He's the mouthpiece of God speaking a prophetic word to the people of God, and yes, even to us today at the Parks Church. Like, so he is talking to a people who are in utter darkness, who are, who are literally, hey, they have lost their way in almost every form, in every fashion. He is trying to point them back to the true God, to what God is going to fulfill and has been communicating to them for years and years and years, right? And this is 700 years before Christ ever rolls up on the scene. Here's the message to a people in darkness, right? A very familiar scene, but I want us to hear it with fresh, uh, fresh ears. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light Shown. Again, this is a people well acquainted with darkness, well acquainted with feeling, feeling confused, feeling lost, searching for false senses of hope and searching. And here the, 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 the prophet Isaiah hops up and he says, listen, a great light has shined on you. What? We have seen a great light? Do, do you get, what tense is that? Right? If you Bible students, you know that's the prophetic, perfect verb tense. You get that? No? Okay, let me explain what that means. It means that Isaiah is communicating to those people, it's as if it has already happened. That our God is going to shine a light. It's as if you have already seen it. In other words, the Messiah, he's coming. A great light is going to shine in the darkest of places. You can take it to the bank. He goes on further. On them, a light has shined. Again, future, prophetic. And so here at church, what I want us to hear is this. That the light of Jesus Christ has shined. That the light of Jesus Christ, the first advent, the hope, the message of Christmas is this. That hope has come in the form of Jesus. God with us. Emmanuel, right? We light candles. We hang lights. We have festivals of lights. We have a candlelight service, right? Not here. We don't light candles. We break glow sticks. But um, <laughs> historic building, all right? But there is this light that is all around us that is meant to fix our eyes upon the one who shattered and broke darkness and came among us. Listen, this was written 700 years before Jesus came, literally. But yet Isaiah is instilling in a people a hope, a calm, an expectation of this light that is to come. Do you know what this means standing on this side of the first advent? that we can absolutely trust the promises of our God, that we can absolutely take everything he says 
in the word of God and say, yes, it has happened, it will happen because our God is faithful. We have that prerogative. We have that point of view from this passage. The people here in Isaiah, listening to Isaiah's prophecy, didn't see Jesus right with their eyes. There was this expectation, there was this hope that Isaiah was laying before them that that even in this word of a future coming, they could still have hope. Listen, we're on the other side of the first advent, but we're still waiting, aren't we? Like, like the darkness that we talked about, the things that we feel, these, these things that push against our lives, like we're still longing for God to come and make all those things right. I'm still longing for God to come back and break through my sin, right? Fully and completely and finally in sickness and death and depression and anxiety. Like I want God to come back and restore all those. And listen, the word of God, even through the prophet Isaiah this morning, is meant to instill an expectation and a hope that the light has come and he's coming back again. And so with the first advent, what we have to do is hold the second advent of Christ in our hands and in our minds and our hearts as well. That's why we have these tables set up for communion. And we're going to talk more specifically about that in just a second. But, you know, I, I, love, I love the way God works and I love the way that the, the word of God lays things out. That he uses um, natural things to give us pictures of Jesus, to give, him, to give us pictures of himself, like light, right? Like naturally, light has some properties about itself, does it not? And there's a few that I want us to think about because I think they, they deeply tie to Christ and the way John uses them in the, the New Testament and Isaiah here. And the first one is this, that light always causes a reaction. Light always causes a reaction. As students, help, help me out with this one. Like when your parents want to wake you up in the morning, right? What do you walk in? Like they walk in and they click on the lights, right? Throw open the curtains. And then what happens, right? You just continue to sleep? Maybe some of you, right? But most of you, there's a reaction to that light. You're like, turn it off, stop it, right? Listen, I'm, I'm in your same boat, guys. I have a four-year-old son who is with me during worship, right? So I, I, I can't verify this, but I think he waits all night at the window, right? Just waiting for the sun to creep over, right? Just to, just to creep over, and then boom, once he sees that, he knows. Because here's what we said, and it was a fault, right? If you're a new parent, don't say this to your kid. We're like, listen, when the sun gets up, you can get up, okay? Bad idea, right? Bad idea, okay? So he does that, and he takes it literal, and he comes in, and guess what he clicks on, Right? My lamp, right? He sees the sun, clicks on my lamp. There's a reaction out of me. Light causes a reaction. John continually, from John chapter 1, John chapter 8, which Sam read, Jesus is light. There is a reaction to Jesus. Jesus being light. And what I hope, even as you hear the Christmas story that we'll read at the Christmas Eve service and that, that you're so familiar with, there are constant reactions to Jesus in this story. This baby coming, right? There's a reaction by Mary when she finds out. There's a reaction by, by Joseph, by the angels, by, by the wise men. There's, there's a reaction by the ruler during that day, right? To a baby in a manger. And the reaction is what? Let's celebrate him. Let's, no. The reaction is, hey, everyone under two, let's get rid of them. Why? Because his power was threatened. There's a reaction to light always. There's a reaction to Jesus. Jesus causes quite a reaction. John Stott, um, a late author, he says that in the Gospels, there are three reactions to Jesus. Listen to these. He says, one, some hated him. It's a reaction. Some were terrified by him, and others worshiped him. Right? And he goes on to say, but no one 
casually liked him. That is never a reaction to Jesus. The light of the world is never just indifference. It is never biblically just this place of going, yeah, whatever, right? No, it's either they hated him, they were terrified by him, or they worshipped him and followed him. His coming, his advent, his first advent, causes a reaction. And I want to say clearly that we have to do something with Jesus. Right? Just going, hey, I'm just indifferent to him, is not a reaction. The light of the world come. The light of, 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 of Isaiah 9 has shone on a people in darkness. Jesus has, has revealed himself as the Savior, as the light of the world. What have you done with that? What have I done with that? Have I responded to who he is? Have I, have I seen him for truly what he has asked me to see him as? Two, light brings life, right? Think about it. We, we could not sustain actual life on this planet if the sun went away, right? Light symbolizes truth and purity and goodness. But what does darkness symbolize? Falsehood, sin, corruption, evil, distress. Isaiah 5, backing up a few chapters, says this. This was, this was the context of their culture. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Like this confusion, this, this perversion who put darkness for light and for light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Like this is, this is what true light is meant to illuminate. The things that are false are meant to be shown as false. The things that are true are meant to be shown what is true. We sing about it in Christmas songs, right? Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. That's light. That's what this message that Isaiah is communicating, that the gospel of John communicates, that the light of the world, that is the life of all men, is here. See, back to Isaiah 9. After this, this prophetic bringing about of the light, he says this, look in verse 3. He says, you, meaning God, Jesus, have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy. Like, listen, that word is everywhere during the season, but so absent in many of our lives and our hearts. But it's going, listen, when the true light of the gospel, when the true light of Jesus Christ is seen, there is a deep-seated joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Do you get a theme here? The, the coming light, the light that shines on the world, the light that shines in the darkness, what else does it bring? Yes, it brings a, a, a response. Yes, it brings healing. Yes, it brings truth, all those things. But it also brings joy. And joy and happiness aren't the same things. Don't believe that lie, okay? Like joy is something that supersedes circumstance. Joy is something that happens when you truly understand Jesus Christ is the light that shatters and tears away every bit of darkness in our broken world. Right, that's where we can understand joy. Okay, let me you get this. When the light comes out, or when the sun comes out after like a week of raininess, right, like rainy weather, how many of you just like feel stinking better, right? Like anybody else? Like we'll take our kids out, like it's been raining a ton, and we'll go out and we'll walk, 
everybody's out, right, in our neighborhood. Everybody's out loving, just soaking up the scent. Listen, there's something spiritual to that as well, right? There's just a radiance. Like, we're saying hi to people we haven't talked to in 45 years, you know? We're just going, hey, how are you? Good to meet you, neighbor. Like, I'm not even your neighbor, okay? Like, we just love it. Why? Because there's this joy that comes with light. There's this joy that comes when the darkness is split, right? Listen, we know that. Like, physically, I think God gives us that picture. But even more spiritually, what happens when we understand that the darkness of our souls, the light of Christ has shined on it, and we have been reconciled before a holy God? Like, that should create a joy. That should create in us something that sustains in these moments, right, of darkness where we feel maybe even the burden and the pressure of these seasons around us. We have joy that that is foreign, Christians, listen to me. We have a joy that is foreign to a watching world. A sense about us, a calm, a peace, that only comes from the light of life, which is Christ. That's it. Like, God help us if in this season we're flipping on lights on our house and lighting candles and cracking glow sticks here at Christmas Eve, yet we miss the power of the light of Jesus Christ in our lives. You see, Isaiah 8 is really rough. If you go back and you read it, I'm not going to read through it. That's a rough chapter. That's a rough chapter, not filled with much hope. But Isaiah 9, what we just walked through and are going to continue to walk through, is where the hope lands. But I want us to understand up front where these people lost their way. And you can look at it if you have your, 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 your copy of God's word in verse 13 of chapter 8. And if you have your Bible, even look with me above there. On mine it says, fear God and wait for the Lord. Fear God and wait for the Lord. You say, what happened? Where did these people get off course? They put their fear in the wrong place. Look at this. It says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, right? So, so get this. All of us have fears. All of us have those things in our life that grip us, that control us, right? Whether it's the fear of man, whether it's just these, these insecurities, it's the fear of failure, whatever it may be. We have all these fears. What is the Bible's response to fear in our life. What does the Bible say? We just read it here, okay, so, so I'm going to go back to it. It says, literally, you want to, you want to come out from underneath that? You want to come under, out from underneath that confusion? Those things? Here's what you need. Fear. What? Like, this is one of those biblical paradoxes. This is one of those things where you're like, wait a minute, the way in which I come out from underneath fear is fear? Yeah. You see, it's the word of the Lord here in Isaiah 8. Fear the Lord. You see, we all have these misplaced fears, these things that we put our trust, our hope in, our our securities in, and in what God is saying to us from Isaiah 8 is this, listen, you're putting your trust, you're, you're putting your security in the wrong place. Where it belongs is in God. Where it belongs is in fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? What it means to fear the Lord is this, have a reverence for who he is. Have an understanding, not an indifference that we just talked to, which is not a response, right? But it's to understand that he is holy, he is separate, and that he has literally made a way by bringing Christ, the light of the world, for me to have a relationship with him. And so all of my hope, all of my security, all of, all of, 
All of these desires that I have terminate and are fulfilled in him. And so I have this reverence and this awe. Listen, this isn't something we approach flippantly, right? That's why Sam was going, listen, this isn't about just a cute baby. This is about the God of the universe splitting apart the darkness by sending his son to illuminate all of the false hopes you and I pursue. That's the light of the world. That's what it means to fear God and have reverence to him. And he says in verse 4 of Isaiah 9, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, Jesus, have broken as on the day of Midian. What? You see, you go back in your Bible to Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And this is talking about a battle in which the people of God won an absolutely unmatchable force was met by an unlikely hero and they fought in the most foreign and unlikely way to win a war. Right? This is the battle in Midian. You can read it. An unlikely hero fighting in an unlikely way, winning a war, winning a battle. Listen, this is meant to point us to Jesus. Right? Think about it. The savior of the universe, an unlikely hero born in a stable, literally in the dirt, in a manger, coming as way of a king. Not that way, right? Coming out of Bethlehem and and Galilee. In what way does he win victory, right? By overthrowing political parties, by reforming certain things? No, by conquering sin by way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, that is the way that the light of the world conquers the thing you and I can't conquer, is that he takes on the cross, that he takes on literally the instrument of death and pays the penalty you and I should have paid. And so listen, when you see that, when you read that, I pray from here on out, you think back to, Mid, to, to, to Midian and you think about Gideon who won that unlikely hero in an unlikely way. That's pointing to Jesus. That's pointing to how he won victory over sin. And, and, and we'll keep reading here. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Like this is just painting a picture of a holy God, right? Like there's nothing like Christmassy about that. Like put that one on your mantle, okay? But we do put this one on in light of that. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Do you hear the grace in that? For to us. Like to you and to me who would put our faith and trust in this Messiah, to us a child is born. For us a child is given. Like there's such a grace in that. Like the message of Christmas is one of hope and grace and mercy. The light of the world doesn't just go, okay, I want you and you and you. He goes, no, I died so that all men might know me and be able to have a relationship with God the Father. And so it's this, it's this beautiful picture of, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now when you hear government here, here's what I want you to think about. Authority. Authority. Jesus in the verse, before the verse everybody knows, Matthew 28, 18, says all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given who? To me. 700 years before that, he's going, listen, our Savior, on his shoulders, all authority is going to rest. But prior to that, listen to me, back to fixing our eyes upon the table, there's something else that's going to rest on his shoulders. There's something else that's going to rest upon him to save the world. 
He says, and his name shall be called. And what I love is it just uses, it just says his name and then lists four names, right? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. So what it's saying is who he is is captured by these four names. These are his titles. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Just, just rest on these words, folks. Like in this season where we're going, we're going, we're going, I think we even go too quickly past Bible passages that we're so familiar with. Wonderful Counselor. And you can look at counselor in one of two ways. One, not like a therapist, okay? You can't look at it as that. One, this word counselor could potentially mean a war general, a general in war. Or it's talking about the council, meaning that in this God, in this light, in Jesus is all wisdom embodied and personified. Like that's what we need. We lack wisdom. It's found in Jesus. Mighty God. He's not lacking in anything. He's not lacking to be able to help you and move those things in your life, maybe that are even accentuated in this season. God, through Jesus, has made a way, has made a way of giving us hope. He is a mighty God, everlasting Father. This one always kind of tripped me up, thinking about Jesus, the Son of God, the Father, as everlasting Father. What Isaiah is communicating here is that his love is perfect and consistent toward you as his child. He loves you. He's pleased with you. He cares for you. And then Prince of Peace. Does anyone else think that this season has been a bit hijacked? Right? So, so, So even the idea of peace. Listen, and I'm not knocking all the things and all the traditions like that. Okay, right? Like, I think we redeem them. We see them for what they are, shadows, right? But, like, I'm praying. I'm just speaking for, like, my family. Like, what I want to experience is the peace of Christ. Like, the rest and the peace that comes from him and him alone. The peace that comes when I understand that the light has broken through in the darkness of Kyle's heart in the form of Jesus Christ. Right, The peace that comes in not just seeing the first advent as the final word, but seeing there is another advent, a second advent coming, and that gives me peace. That gives me peace when all the things around me are shaking and shifting and moving and, and frankly, outside of my control. I want the Prince of Peace in this season. And it says of the increase of his government or his authority and of peace, there it is again, there will be no end. Praise God. There is not an end to his peace that he brings about. There is not an end to the the throne that he is establishing. In fact, it talks about it. It says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, I love this part, will do this. Right? Now he's going, this will come. You can take it to the bank. It is a guarantee. The God of the universe will see this happen. And so this is where we go. Yes, the first advent, Jesus came. We saw, we see that God has done it. Listen, the second coming, his return, God will do this. He will bring about his son again to make things right, to put a a final exclamation point on the thing that he created and is called back to redeem it to himself. Listen, I long for that day. I'm ready for that day. But until then, much like those wondering in Isaiah 8, 
Advent, with the first Advent, there's this expectation, this longing. We're in this season between the first Advent and the second, expecting, longing, worshiping God, asking him, come quickly, Lord, please. But until then, the word of God gives us instruction. I want you to see this as we get ready to approach the tables in communion, and then we'll end. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing to a church about communion. And always in communion, the Lord's Supper, and Jesus did this intentionally, he keeps the second advent before them. When we take the elements, the, 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 the bread and the juice, it's meant to remind ourselves of Jesus' coming, his broken body, but we're to do it in anticipation of a day where remembering is no more. Look at this. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, right? Looking back, first advent. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, right? This, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until what? Second advent. Until he comes again. May we be a church that in light of the first advent, in light of the prophecies we hear from Isaiah, weren't just about the first advent and Jesus coming. They're also about his return and how he will come. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to come to these tables, and we're going to grab the elements, and we're going to take them together. But I'm asking that the Lord would help us, you and me, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Not just this, this babe that came in a lowly manger, but this triumphant warrior king who is coming back to make all things right, all things good. Listen, that's what our hearts long for, this light that dispels the darkness. So let me pray for us as our hosts get in place. Father, God, as we prepare to come to these tables of communion, Lord, some of us approach them with such heavy hearts, weary, tired. God, may we be reminded of your goodness and your grace and the hope of Jesus this morning. Just as a people groping and and working and trying to figure things out apart from, apart from you. God, may you show us the futility of that. Show us the futility of trying to lean on our own wisdom and intellect and strength. Show us the beauty and the grace of your son this Advent season. And God, I pray for us as a church and a community of faith that we would fix our eyes upon the returning king, the king who came, who bore a cross, who rose from the dead, but who is coming back, coming back again to restore, to shatter darkness once and for all. God, I pray in this season of joy and love and hope that they would be so much more than words, more than just peace on our lips, but we would have the peace of Christ ruling supreme in our hearts. And so, God, even as we walk to these tables, may they be a prayerful, worship-filled walk for us to grab these elements for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.